Welcome to Pacific Outlook Podcasts with me, Tess Newton-Kane. If I may, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the custodians of the traditional lands on which I live and work, and I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. Okay, welcome, Stefan, to um, Pacific Outlook Podcasts. It's great to have you here. For the benefit of the listeners, I'm chatting today with Stefan Armbruster, who is an industry fellow at the Griffith Asia Institute and a founding member of the Pacific Hub. So, Stefan, why don't you, for those of us who don't know, why don't you tell us how you came to be a part of our Pacific Hub? Well, Tessa, I think it was probably, uh, I've, I've been lucky to have worked in the region for 25 years and been had employment to do that. So, and as a journalist, then you get to see a whole lot of things and experience uh, a whole lot of things and um yeah see see i suppose the backstories and things like that which over this period of time has created a bit of a, a a memory bank in me and also i've spent a lot of time covering not just the pacific but working as a journalist generally and also covering aboriginal and torres strait island affairs in australia so if you put all those things together i, I suppose um I'm I'm a journalist who covers the Pacific that's seen a lot, and also there's not that many of us out there who do it. So we are we're we're a bit of a rare breed. And uh, is that does that make sense? Yes, it does. And the Pacific <laughs> Hub is a good place for you today. Oh well, it's it gives me an opportunity to do uh, a little bit extra on the side sometimes with stories, uh, things that only have so much uh, range on on one platform or one outlet uh, I can do a little bit more in-depth work or contribute to other people's work or help organize uh, things through the networks I've established so yeah there's um it, it just gives it gives a greater range and scope to uh, the work I do and, and the interest I have in the region that's great so talk you've talked about how you work in the region and you do Pacific stories here in Australia and you do Pacific stories in the region itself what informs and drives that work for you? Well, if we could go back to my childhood. We could. We could. <laughs> no, uh, it's, I'm a migrant, so I came here from Germany in the 70s. We are in, in Europe. You live very close to your neighbours and you know a lot about your neighbours and there's a lot of history there, some of it really appalling, of course. And being here in Australia, I suppose it's, it's strange not to know your neighbours. And to me, that's something that's really important to know your neighbours. I know the neighbours in my neighbourhood, and so I like to, I'd like to know what um, people around around me, I suppose, are doing as well. So, so that there was that. Uh, we travelled as a child quite a bit, and I was lucky enough in the seventies to already start going to places like Fiji and Tahiti, which was uh, eye opening in many ways for for a kid from Germany. Then um, my father. Through his work, he spent time in in Moresby and Honiara and other places. So I'd hear I'd hear stories about all these places. So I suppose um I've I've lived with it for a while in my life, and then I've had the um the chance to see some of it. And that happened when I start, started the job at uh well I worked I worked in Fiji briefly back in uh, the 1990s on the exchange program and at the Fiji Broadcasting Commission back then. So I'd, I'd, I'd spent a bit of time working out there. I had no idea what I was doing, really. I was, I was really badly prepared for that trip. <laughs> I've, I've learned so much since then about, um, yes, so many things. But, yeah, that's, that's what life is. It's a learning, learning experience. I made, I've made 
quite a few mistakes along the way too. So yes, I've, I've, um, I ended up at SBS about 15 years ago. And one of the things that uh, immediately jumped out at me was that Queensland, and I'm uh, the Queensland correspondent for SBS as well, uh, that Queensland has Australia's only international border. And that's the one in the Torres Strait with Papua New Guinea. And that was immediately like an, an attraction for me. It's uh, it's a huge uh, source of stories. It's been a, a really important interface for Australian history going back before before settlement. The stories of trade from uh, the PNG Highlands through to the Central Desert of feathers and ochres being traded. So so there's a there's a whole there's a, there's a long history of Australia being being part of that sort of Pacific um, culture already. And then um, yeah. Papua New, Papua New Guinea sort of, sort of, um, sort of becomes part of your patch, I suppose. You, um, you uh, have a border, and the Torres Strait Islanders, of course, are Melanesian people. They are Australia's other indigenous population, often overshadowed by, by issues to do with Aboriginal Australia. And so uh, there's lots of stories up there to do. It's, it's basically the Pacific's just this place full of stories. And as a journalist, you know, how can you... How can you turn stuff like that down? You just see stories everywhere. You pick up little nuances and, and you can go and chase it. And yeah, it's uh, it's just an amazing place to work. So following on from that, I guess there's two questions in one. What is it that you find most rewarding about covering Pacific stories mm-hmm. and working in the Pacific? And what do you find the most challenging? One of the best things is the number of wonderful friendships I've made. There's going into the Pacific has... And repeatedly over the years, I've, I've made really strong contacts with people and we've known each other sometimes for 25 years and worked alongside each other over that period of time. And you get to know people and you get to know a, bit of, a little bit of culture uh, enough, you know, you start under some, get some understanding and feel for it. So that's been, and, and it becomes welcoming to go. You go to places and you see friendly faces, and yeah, it's it's just I feel um, I feel really privileged, really, to be able to go to these places for work, to tell stories, um, and then you you get to see history in the making quite often. That's the other amazing things, and and sometimes you're the only foreign journalist there. There's there's the Bougainville uh, referendum last year. There was lots of well quite a few foreign journalists there by Pacific standards. But you, you go somewhere like that and you see the, um, you know, the, the, the actual process of um, claiming or demanding independence taking place after the, the many decades after the, the Civil War and the, and the post-conflict reconstruction of that society. And, the, and you see the look in people's faces and the excitement and those sort of things. And you, and you can stand there right in the middle of it and, 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 and feel their their passion for their land and their culture it's uh it's an amazing thing what about what's challenging there are lots of challenges in in covering the region uh on 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 so on so many levels one is getting there one is uh that's the the, the cost of covering as, as a television journalist and tv doesn't obviously work without pictures and we do do a lot of coverage uh with using local sources now uh we hire local cameramen sometimes to shoot for us. We we can get stories up, but there's no there's no replacement sometimes for doing it on the ground yourself. 
to, to do it for what your outlet wants to, but it's just expensive. It's really expensive. It's comms have been difficult until recent years to organize things. It's, uh, it's just been a, a challenging environment sometimes to get where you need to go with, with a limited budget and limited resources. So, so that's really hindered, uh, hindered the storytelling. Uh, sometimes it's visas. Visas have always been a, a, an interesting thing. Sometimes going to Papua New Guinea uh, takes a long time. And going to Nauru, well, I've never really made it to Nauru. So maybe one day I will be allowed to go there. Uh, Kiribati hasn't had a very open policy on those sort of things as well. So it's, it's not, there's, there's so many, that's just, they're, they're just logistical things. Um, challenging as well, sometimes it's just in some places. Yeah, you can you can find yourself in quite uh, personally challenging situations as well. Let's say you you can you can see things where you you know well you have to make decisions about do do you intervene or do you literally run away? Uh, there's uh, it's it's not it's not always calm <laughs> out there. So that that can be quite challenging. Um, I find finding the stories though isn't challenging. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 uh, being able to in 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 the role of the journalist, the kind of journalist I am, is actually get, getting there. And the other thing that's challenging is selling or pitching the stories. And I've I've been really fortunate with SBS because they've they've for a long time now recognised the value in telling stories from from the Pacific, and have let me go there a lot in the last fourteen years. Not always, obviously. <laughs> there's, there's been yeses and noes, but I, I, I feel what a lot of my contemporaries uh, or counterparts uh, experience. Um, I feel for them because of how hard it is just to to get the nod to go out there and and do stories that are that are really important and and necessary for um, an Australian audience to hear. And is that I can I mean you've already mentioned about the expense associated with this type of work, so obviously that that might be part of it. But is some of it around maybe an as yet undeveloped appreciation of how important these stories are for Australian audiences? It depends who's doing the appreciating. Uh, there's Australia's had a very um, there was it's very very complex relationship with the Pacific, and it's. It's changed in focus quite a lot, and we're currently seeing a focus called the Step Up, which has resulted in a lot more coverage of the Pacific region. The coverage, though, has been directed in part, in part, large part, I suppose, by Australia's uh, concerns about China's activities and intentions in the region, which frames a lot of the coverage in, in a particular way. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's not always it's not always the most important thing for the it's not there are a lot of stories out there to be told and the framing the framing of the coverage in Australia sometimes is is not really reflective of some of the issues that people in the region think are important. That's probably what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. So talking about things that are important in the region, what do you think are going to be the most significant news issues that we'll be thinking about in relation to the Pacific or in the Pacific over the next year or so? Well, there's there's a number that start with the letter C. <laughs> there's, uh, there's COVID, obviously, which is going to be a ongoing 
huge issue I can imagine for the region because of the so, well, so many impacts like we've all experienced. So that's going to be something that that's going, going to really determine the relationships or the yeah relationships in in the region. Uh, then there's uh, climate change, mm-hmm. and climate change has been around for a while already. And this that's one of the issues that that's where in terms of how it's covered, uh, there's a there's a very uh, Pacific view on climate change. It's very different from uh, the view held by the Australian government, and there's a and it's been there's been a lot of coverage in Australia of the Pacific uh, view of climate change um, because it is so at odds sometimes with, yeah, with, with I mean, the Australian certainly, position. Certainly, potential for tension there, and we saw mm. that last year in Tuvalu at the Pacific Leaders Forum. Yeah, and then there's the other sea, which is China, and uh, so 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 yeah, we've got you've, th- those three alone. There'll be loads of material because we've got the um, we've got the the climate meeting in Glasgow coming up towards the end of this year as well. I'm sorry, the end of next year as well, which will uh, which will become a, a big focus, especially with the Pacific Islands Forum meeting that will be held in Fiji next year in the lead-up to that. And, of course, we still need to have the Pacific Forum leaders meeting from 2020, which still hasn't... Uh, no, nothing concrete has been said about that. And also the other thing, which will be really, inter- really interesting related to the forum, is the uh, uh, succession for Dame Meg Taylor um, as the Secretary-General of the organisation. And that's exposed some interesting rifts within the Pacific community in terms of who should who should lead the forum for the next term. There's uh there's di- dis- dispute between the, the Micronesian uh, countries and uh, some of the other countries about uh, in principle gentlemen's agreements, old gentlemen's agreement uh-huh. I've heard it called, um, about uh, whose turn it is to be there. And so that's that's already um that's really caused a few rifts where uh, the Pacific's been standing together quite strongly on a number of other issues in recent years, so that's they're, they're likely to dominate um, the Pacific Forum discussion. We've got elections coming up in Tonga and Samoa, and and that would they will be um they'll be quite telling as well because of um if, if there is a possibility of leadership change in in those countries. Well, certainly in Samoa, it it looks like the most likely it's looked for a long time. Mm, yes. And so that, yeah. And that that will uh, re- that could possibly remove a, a, what's been a very uh, powerful voice in the region yep. from from the from the discussion. Uh, what else is coming up? There's uh, there's talk of moving the New Caledonia independence referendum forward to next year, so oh. it doesn't clash with the French presidential election in 2022. So we could see another referendum in New Caledonia fairly soon. Um, and then there's broader issues. Um, there's the ongoing ones with things like fishing in the region, mm. uh, but also now uh, there's much more talk about deep-sea mining, mm. and that's, that's sort of coming on the agenda a lot. And and then, you know, in those countries themselves, there, there are a lot of issues um, that they have just on the ground that are specific to their countries. Like, they're not, you can't paint a broad brush across the region. You have to you have to look into each of these countries, you know, individually, and, and, and there's stories in each of them that mm. need to be told. Mm. Yeah, no, I think... I think I'd agree with you with all of those. I think we'll be seeing a lot more on those. And as you say, that's before something comes along that we haven't expected, whether it's a natural disaster or some political upheaval. You know, we've seen Mm. various machinations in Papua New Guinea. They've yet to fully play out, so there'll be plenty to keep an eye on. Just looking at another aspect of the work that you do, um, I know that you also contribute to the media industry in the Pacific by way of supporting them with 
training and development. Mm. So what has that work taught you about the media landscape in the region that you can share with us? Well, there's some of the people I mentioned earlier who've become really good friends. Some of, well, you know, there's a lot of journalists out there who uh, who I'm friends with now from over the years. And it's, they're great, there's great journalists out there. There's really good journalists. There's a lot of young journalists who are coming through who are really committed and passionate about telling stories. And there's more recognition being given to Pacific Island journalists outside of their own countries now as well. So there's, uh, there's the, the, the will to storytell is really there. There's a, there's a lack of, you know, we lack resources and we see diminishing resources here in Australia. But when you look at what's in some countries, and specifically not all, some have, some have really interesting and, uh, resources, really well developed resources. But in some places, you know, there's, they struggle to find a camera to take out. There's, they, 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 they struggle to pay the bills to, to run the studios. You know, there's, there's so little resources going into the profession. And then there's also a real, um, there's, there's a lack of job security. Uh, journalists face personal safety issues. There's, you know, there's, there's a whole range of issues that are faced by journalists on the ground that are really make, make, make being a journalist really, really difficult. And then also then on top of that, you have, um, you have in some countries governments acting in ways that uh, don't really encourage straightforward journalism. And we, you're, we were together working on this uh, last year, the Melanesia uh, Media Freedom Forum, which discussed a lot of those issues about um, you know, why why can't there be uh, a straightforward storytelling process, or why isn't there, and what can we do oh. to support each other across the region when when there are issues about with editors being sacked or. Um, freedom of speech issues arising, or you know, all of those sort of things. So, so that's that's something I've seen. And one of the one of the interesting things is when I, when I go on the road in these countries, um, I won't name countries and I won't name people, but you have sometimes you'll go to a press conference and you'll be having a chat with one of one of your colleagues, and they'll say, "Oh, you might want to ask about this," and you don't need to really ask much more than that because if they're asking you to ask that that means they they mightn't be able to ask themselves um and but it's it's they then rely on an outsider to come in and they basically you you leave you know you you, you ask the question you leave and there's very little blowback uh for you because you, if, if you're a journalist inside the country and you're living there and you might see these people you know every day you know they, they, it, it could potentially uh, not be be a good look for you, uh, and so you know this, there, there, there's there's a lot of resourcefulness that goes on, and you know and one of the things that's, that that demonstrates is is about sharing our resources. I uh, think that's, that's a really good thing. And the other thing that I the, the other the other thing that would be really great in a region is if there was a regional broadcaster. Uh, there is there is so much journalism going on. In the Pacific, it's it's a really vibrant community. There's so many papers still running. There's a uh, new one starting. There's radio stations. There's uh, you know, there's TV. You know, TV. You know, Tuvalu set up their their national broadcaster last year, oh. just now. Yeah. So there's there's 
there's media still in development in in all of these countries and and well developing as it, as it is everywhere and there's so many resources that could be shared because the stories and the issues are quite often uh there's there's similarities between all these countries and you could you could see what's happening in other places and now this is this is you know you already have regional broadcasters and and international broadcasters you know doing this already and been doing this since the 80s but one that would be regional would be in terms of the regionalism that the the pacific forum talks about and aspires to something like that would be a a, a fantastic assistance to it because then people could see what's happening people aren't people aren't watching the internet yet so they're not the the internet is too expensive and and too patchy in places for people to actually afford to um to access this sort of thing the way we do and radio australia and radio new zealand pacific do a fantastic job with the resources they have in getting out there to the pacific as much as they can but if there was some sort of regional broadcaster i I, I think i think it would it would change it, it would change a whole lot of things the way that international book and the way radio australia's it's its role as it was once upon a time when there was a coup somewhere or a natural disaster you could you would have one and one yeah preferably one that's controlled in the region mm. you know made for made by the region mm. yeah so I, that's that's something that uh, and and i'm not alone in, in that in in talking about this there's there's lots of journalists who've been around the region for you know for years and years and and it's an idea that's been, been um, talked about for a long time about resource sharing and doing those sort of things. That's um, I think you know ultimately comes down to money, and, yeah. and there's um, very little money out there for it. So one of the things you haven't mentioned there, and I might just get you to touch on briefly to finish up, is where does the rise of social media fit into this media landscape that you work in when you're in the region? And I guess one of the reasons I'm thinking about that is, you know, we're seeing at the moment Solomon Islands. Going down the track of threatening to ban Facebook, and we've seen that before uh, in Tonga, in Samoa, in Papua New Guinea, and Nauru did ban Facebook for some mm. time. So, you know, we know social media is very vibrant, but it's also a contested issue. How do you see that fitting into the future of Pacific media? Well, at, at the moment, you know, Facebook is so omnipresent in the, in the whole region, it's, and and messaging on Facebook, like the other platforms, really haven't taken off. Mm. in the way that Facebook has. So when you're talking about social media, you're really talking about what is the role of Facebook in the region. And that's that's going to be quite interesting to see how that all works out. There's, um, I know there's there's very little translation available on, on, those, on those social media platforms from one Pacific language to, to another, or even to English. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's already something that... And, and the, the language... The, the language syntax uh, just of in, in a lot of places that it varies radically so it'll be interesting to see how social media adapts to that and applies that but in terms of in terms of spreading news from being based here in Brisbane Facebook particularly has been a fantastic means of a channel of communication because we don't you could just post it up on Facebook, basically, and then everyone can see it. Mm. It, it just goes out there, and the the traction that stories get, uh, it's the, it's amazing how quickly it's, it's shared around. Uh, you, the diaspora community shares it with their community back home. Um, community back home then starts sharing it around, and 
you know, people people um, like seeing the communities represented mm. in the media, and that's one of the, one of the things here in in Australia. A lot of the the diaspora communities they they have almost no visibility in the Australian media. They have uh, they have their own Facebook pages and things like that. But in terms of actually getting story coverage, you know, you, you get you get it every now and then, and uh, well, you get the natural disasters and those sort of things, and you maybe get you know some a medical operation to to better someone's life. But on the whole, there's there's just very and then, and then there's you know rugby mm. rugby league, <laughs> but and, and and athletes. But uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, very narrow. It's very narrow. So so uh, I I found that um, when I do stories on on the communities here, which has been the case a lot this year with COVID, because there hasn't been the ability to travel, those stories that have been done here. When they when they uh, get picked up back in 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 the home country of that diaspora community, yeah, it's um it's amazing. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important point. Okay, well, thank you very much. You've given us lots to think about. It's been great hearing about you and your work. Thank you very much for joining us on Pacific Outlook Podcasts. Thank you, Tess. You've been listening to Pacific Outlook Podcasts with me, Tess Newton Kane. This podcast was edited by Alia Ravat. And our music is Tonga Pow Pow, performed by Kao Ma'akonga and produced by One Top Music. <laughs>